just cover a few things here. First, it is Valentine's Day on the 14th. Men, listen. It is Valentine's Day on the 14th. Men, it is Valentine's Day on the 14th. All right, on the 14th, Valentine's Day. All right, that's where you get something or make something for your wife. All right, so think about that. All right, on February 11th at 6 p.m., we will be doing a dinner uh, here. Everybody is welcome, both couples and singles. So if you're looking for a place to come and have some fun, uh, come out and join us. Diane is running that for us. She's uh, put a lot of work into it. If you're interested in coming, please come see her. We are trying to get people to buy tickets in advance so we have enough food and we know how much we have to prepare for. Uh, so please come see Diane at end of service if you will be attending. All right. On the 26th, parents, I need you to hang out with me after church. So if you're a parent or a guardian or a grandparent, whoever, if you're bringing kids into the Children's Church program, we would love for you to come. Uh, we want to talk about this year. We've got a few things we're looking at. We're looking at one, a shift from one curriculum to a new, another curriculum, which we think will engage the kids a little bit better. Two, we want to talk about how do we bring you guys more into the loop. We need to make sure you guys are prepared throughout the week to have conversations with your children, be praying with them, know what they're learning, those kind of things. We'll also be talking about uh, potentially starting up a new youth program and offering some different pro uh, children's programs either Sunday morning or Wednesday nights. So we really need you guys to buy in. We want you guys to know what's happening. So on the 26 parents after church, if you can hang out for probably about 30 minutes, we'd love to have that time with you. All right. Uh, a couple other things here. March 2nd, that's a Thursday. On March 2nd, we will be having our prayer meeting. Um, so that'll be just a time for us to come into the church, pray about our individual needs, pray about our world, our country, our families, our cities. So keep those in mind. And then one other thing is on Wednesday, March 1st, we will be um, going out to the food bank to do our first quarter uh, service project. So if you're interested in that, there's a sign-up sheet at that back table. We'd love to get a number of how many people are going to be able to participate in that. So March 1st, we're going out to the food bank. If you want to sign up and help out there, make sure you put your name out there so the food bank can prepare for how many people we bring. All right? We good? All right. Men, February 14th is? Okay. That's what I expected. <laughs> Women, my apologies. I guess, you know what, February, whatever that Sunday is, we'll do one on forgiveness and apologizing. All right, that'll be what our sermon series will be around that time, is forgiveness and apologizing. All right, so we've been in this series called Be Strange. We took a week last week to have the kids in here with us, but we're back into being strange. And this all comes from a quote from one of my favorite pastors. He said, go to church once a week and nobody notices. Worship God seven days a week, and you become strange. And so I told you, my prayer for us is that you become strange. I want you to be weird. I don't want you to be normal. I don't want you to be mediocre. I don't want you to blend into the crowd. I want people to look at your lives and go, those lives are different. Okay? They need to be able to see that. And so as we've talked about this, I said there's a couple things I want us to focus on. And so the key to this series is, is we're talking about the fruits of the Spirit. But in looking at the fruits of the Spirit, the important thing is you're not pursuing the fruits. Who are you pursuing? You're pursuing a relationship with Christ. So look at what he says to us in John 15, 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, it is he that bears much fruit. From apart from me you can do nothing. 
So the point that I want you to understand as we talk about these different fruits is don't try to be more patient. Don't try to be more loving. Don't try to be more self-disciplined. Try to get closer to Christ. Amen. See, too many of us chase after God for what God has, not for Him. And God's point to us is, you guys don't get it, the only way you can have the peace, the joy, the love, the hope, the faith, all those things I talk about is if they come from me. Amen. They can't come from you. You don't have them in you. So it's about a close relationship with God. The second key to this, this spirit is, is that we make sure we understand these fruits are going to show up no matter what. So a lot of us sometimes treat these fruits of the spirit like they're optional. We act like, well, it'd be nice if those things showed up. That is not the expectation that God sets. The expectation God sets is if my spirit is in you, these will appear. And so the other thing that we need to be doing during this series is having a hard look in the mirror and asking ourselves, do I truly see these things in my life? Do they truly show up? If they don't, that's a problem. And it means that you've got to get closer in your relationship with God. All right, too many of us have become Christians in religion, in morality, but not in relationship with God. What has to drive you is not that you think what the Bible says is a good way to act. What has to drive you is not that you think it's beneficial or peaceful for you to come here and worship every Sunday. What has to drive you is in your heart there is a fire. There is a love. There is a desire that's almost obsessive to be in the presence of God. Amen. Why? Because when you've seen Him and you've known Him, you realize He's awesome. When you've been in His presence, you go, there is nothing like that. I need more of that in my life. That's what's driving this whole focus here. Patience. Um, I did not put the E there specifically for any reason, uh, so don't read too much into that. Patience is the first thing we're going to talk about today. So when we look at patience, Ecclesiastes 7.8 gives us a great comment on patience. It says, the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So one of the fruits of the Spirit is that you and I are patient. Now let me ask you this. How many people here feel they are patient enough? Raise your hand. One, two, good, okay. We got two liars in the crowd. All right. That's good, That's good to know. I love you guys all the same. Um, have you ever done this? Have you ever pay, prayed for patience? How does that work? I don't pray for patience anymore because I realize when I do, God just gives me more opportunities to be patient, which frankly I don't want. All right? So I often don't find myself praying for patience, but here's the reality of patience. Patience is the battle between you and your ego. Patience is the battle between you and your ego. Let's be real here. How many of you this week got impatient driving in rush hour traffic? Anybody? Let me see the hands. Okay, now question for those people. Would you ever expect that at 5 o'clock in San Antonio that you wouldn't take an hour and a half to get somewhere? Is there anything in your history that should make you think that driving in San Antonio between 4 and 7 would be peaceful, fun, or free traffic? Is there anything that would make you think that? No. 
Is there anything to th make you think that driving with people is going to show you the best of humanity? No. <laughs> no. So why when you get in the car for the thousandth time and you're sitting in traffic for the thousandth time, are you upset that for the thousandth time it's going to take an hour to get home? Shouldn't you know that? Shouldn't you expect it? Let's be real about why we're upset. What we're really upset about is my time is more significant than these people's time. These people are preventing me from doing all the things I want to do. These people are stopping me from living my life. These people are holding me back. I mean, let's be real. That's what patience is about. Patience is us getting upset because other things have stopped us from achieving what we want to achieve. And ultimately what God says about this is that comes from pride. In Philippians he tells us, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do you understand that statement? Count others as more significant than yourselves. You should actually be that weird guy on the road that's letting everybody in. You know, that guy needs to get home. That guy really needs to get home. I'm going to let him in because, you know what, his time's important. In fact, it's probably more important than my time. Right? How many of us are not those people? Do you, do you ever have those moments where you realize how inconsistent you're acting with being a Christian? Like, I did this the other day where like, I'm not letting that guy in. Right? You just kind of keep itching forward like, uh-uh, buddy. Fly up the side and try to cut me off. Uh-uh. And it's like, what am I teaching him? Is he going to be like, you know what? That silver Kia didn't let me in, and it's made me rethink my life. Why do I fly up the side of the road? It's dangerous. It doesn't make sense. And frankly, it's just not kind. Thank you, Mr. Guy in the Kia. No longer will I do this. That's not going to happen. You know, the worst in the family is, is Nicole. She thinks that her horn and her are the teachers of the road. And that she is going to help correct people learning how to drive their vehicles. I told her, frankly, all that's going to happen is she's going to get shot one day. Okay? I don't think anybody's learning any lessons. But ultimately, think about this. How much would this change our patience? If when you're sitting in that rating room and that person that got there after you goes to see the doctor, you truly went and said, that person's more significant than me. Would you be upset anymore? I mean, think about it. When you truly are around people that you act like they're more significant than you, what do you do? You actually let them go ahead of you. Right? Like, I've seen this at work. I've seen the CEO come down to eat and people will be like, oh no, cut in front of me. Seriously. Why? Because it's the boss man. And his time's more important than mine. What's funny is their coworker tries to do it. It's like, hey man, back up. What are you trying to do here? No cutsies. All right, to the back. When we truly think people are more significant than us, we, we give them time. We give them our space. We give them what's ours. So all those times you're getting upset, what's really happening is there's an ego in you going, I'm more important. I'm more important. And frankly, what's really happening here is there's that ultimate sin, pride. But let's be real. The all sins really tie back to pride. And the ultimate war that man has is that we truly wish we were our own gods. We truly wish that. 
And frankly, in our society, it's becoming worse. Because frankly, technology is allowing us in many ways to do things that feel godlike in comparison. Can you imagine if I'd go back to the 1800s and tell somebody I now have an electronic device that almost any question I don't know the answer to, within a second I can have an answer? Gosh, do you even just remember like when you didn't know how to get somewhere? Man, as a grade list, it was the worst thing in the world to not know where you're going. Because how my uncles give directions is, is not with roads. It's like, you know that Denny's? Not the nice one, the bad Denny's. I want you to go to the bad, bad Denny's and you're going to hang a right. But you're not going to take that first road, you know, the one with the, the speed bumps. You're going to take the second road. The one with that gas station where we got in that fight. You remember that one? All right, and then you're going to take a left and it's going to be like, it's going to be right when you think you've gotten lost. Right after you start feeling like you're lost, there's going to be a dirt road and you're going to take a left there. And you're like riding this town like, I'm just going to get lost. <laughs> and you're like, no, you're like, there's no pay phones, there was no cell phones. Like, my day is gone. I'm going to come back eight hours from now, and that's just going to be how it's going to be. Nowadays, you don't ever get lost. You can actually have Morgan Freeman narrate your drive. Have you seen some of these homes? So I work in the innovation department at USA. There are now homes. Well, I can walk up with my cell phone, and as I walk up, the door will unlock because it knows it's my cell phone. As I walk into the house, the thermostat will change the temperature that I like for that time of day. My favorite music will start to play. The lights will dim to the settings that I wish, and I can even program like stuff in the kitchen to start cooking. <laughs> Tell me that doesn't feel like being God, right? I simply arrive, and everything happens. <laughs> Well, as this happens, you and I are not patient anymore. <coughs> Has anybody ha had the experience lately of being in a waiting room with their cell phone dead? <laughs> have you, then you have to remember what it's like to wait. Because <laughs> now when you wait, it's like, hey, I watch a television show, I'll play a video game, I'll surf the internet, I'll get mad at politics on the internet, right, whatever. But truly waiting anymore, we don't do it. And all that comes from a desire for us to say, I'm the most important, I should have what I want, when I want it, now. And we have to learn that's not what God teaches us. Ultimately, where patience comes from is when you and I truly wake up every day and realize, my God is my Lord. I am but a servant. It's all I am. I am a servant. I am here to do His bidding. I'm here to do His work. And frankly, everybody else around me, I should treat them like they're more important than I am. Think how much that shift in thought changes how impatient you become in life. It's a huge shift. It's a huge shift. Look at Philippians 4.6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, I know that doesn't say patience in it, but here's the point. When there's something you're stressed about, when there's something you want, how do you get it done? You ask God. You ask God and you wait for Him to grant your request. It's a totally different way of thinking. In fact, so many sins in the Bible happen because God tells people, here's what I want to do with you. And the people get impatient waiting. Remember Abraham? God tells him, you're going to have a son. In fact, you're going to have so many 
children, they will be as countless as the stars. Well, years start passing. Abraham's not having a kid. He starts getting worried, like, hey, God's made this promise to me. It's not coming through. Instead of waiting for God, what does he do? He sleeps with his wife's servant, and he has a child through her to go, well, I'll take care of it. God, you're, you're obviously not handling the situation. I, I will fix it. Now, did it fix anything? No. It created generations upon generations of hate, violence, and all kinds of pain. But it all came from somebody being impatient. You and I need to submit our request to God and learn to wait. He's the Lord. We are the servants. It's a dynamic way of thinking. Look at Isaiah 40.31. Here's what God promises. He promises if you're that person, if you will treat him as Lord and you'll be the servant, he will sustain you as you wait. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. But notice, we all love that, the, the bottom part. But notice the top part. The condition for God doing that to you is those who wait for the Lord. What's funny is we all want the t-shirt and the coffee cup that says, oh, he's going to fill me with strength. I'm going to fly like an eagle. I'm going to run fast. But none of us are like, Waiting. Nobody wants that part of it. We must wait for the Lord and then He will do these things for us. And it's all tied back to Lord, servant. Lord, servant. Who are you? If you have your Bibles, flip with me to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 36-40. What we've been trying to do throughout this series is point back to stories and events in Jesus' life that reflect these things happening. What's hard with Jesus is, is when you talk about impatience, there's not really a lot of stories that show him being impatient. He's unbelievably patient. He's unbelievably faithful. But Matthew 26, 36-46 is the closest we get to seeing Jesus wanting to have his own game plan. In Matthew 26, 36, we see Jesus right before his death is about to come. He's in the garden. He knows the moment is soon to happen. And he is waiting for all that physical pain, for all that spiritual pain, for all that emotional pain, for all of it. And it says this. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to him, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do you hear Jesus' prayer there? What does he start to ask God? He starts to ask God if there's another way. If there's another way to do this. Let me know. What I will love is like almost as soon as the words are off his lips... He goes, but not my will is yours. Not my will yours. 
This is why Jesus was able to be what he was. Is that all throughout his life, he realized his Father God was the God, and he was the servant. Even with all the power, all the perfection, all the amazement and wonders he had at his fingertips, he was always subservient to his Father. And thus he was always patient. He knew if he was in a place, it was because God wanted him there. He knew if there were people around him, it was because God wanted them there. He never looked at those things as mistakes or accidents. Brothers and sisters, if we adopt that mindset, my goodness, the things we would start to see change. When you're waiting for something, God doesn't want you to be somewhere else. He wants to be right there. His purpose is for you to be right there in that moment, waiting on Him. And what's funny is, as soon as we realize that, I'm not really waiting on other people. I'm not really waiting on the doctor. I'm not really waiting on my boss. I'm really waiting on the Lord. It should change the perspective of how we think about things. When we talk about the fruits, what's interesting is patience and self-control are the two ones we like the least. Because they're actually the ones that require effort on our parts. So when we talk about self-control, this is probably the one least Christians like to deal with. Most of us do not like to deal with self-control. In fact, many of us will use God's grace as an excuse for not having self-control. Well, my God, He's a forgiver. You know, He will forgive me of my... He made me this way, you know. But the beauty of Him is He forgives everything. Is that an excuse for you to continue to be lazy? Is that good justification for you to continue to not take care of yourself? For you to continue to be a drunk? For you to continue to be an addict? For you to continue to beat your wife? For you to continue doing whatever it is? No. Just because God's graceful, it does not give us license to go and sin. God very much makes it clear, I have an expectation that because my spirit is in you, you will look different. And what I need you to do is I need you to pursue being different. Frankly, the biggest reason I think people don't want to be Christians is us. I think a lot of people know Christians and go, they're no different. There's absolutely no difference between you and me. Except you get up early on Sunday mornings, and that's about it. In fact, do you know statistically, if you look at Christians versus non-Christians, you don't see any differences? Divorce rate, same. Addiction rates, the same. Pornography addiction, the same. Drug addiction, the same. Alcoholism, the same. Spousal abuse, the same. So it's like people are like, well, wait a minute. I mean, you talk about this amazing relationship with this all-powerful God that you have and this amazing love and grace that flows into your life. I don't see any evidence of it anywhere except you get up early on Sunday mornings. Frankly, that's not enough to make me want to change. We need to go, that's not right. That's not a good reflection of what the relationship with our Father should be. What made the church unbelievably powerful is even when the Roman Empire was trying to kill it, people who came to Christ changed. They became powerful. They became loving. They became sacrificial. They became joyful. Throw them in jail and what do they do? Sing praises to God. And that made people go, man, I want that. Good things happen to me and I don't even feel that happy. Bad stuff happens to you and you just... You rise above it. 
And so this comes into where you've really got to ask yourself, how much do you want this? How much do you truly desire Christ? Because I'll be honest, I think for a lot of us, our spiritual relationship with God is a want, not a desire. It's a want, not a desire. What's that mean? It means it's on a list of things that you wish were different, but you won't actually put any effort towards changing. So for me, that goes right with learning to play a guitar. My effort in wanting to play a guitar stemmed to me going and buying a guitar and putting it in my office where it has sat for about a year. Now, if you'd ask me, do I want to learn to play the guitar? I'd tell you, yes, absolutely. But then you could follow up and go, well, how many times have you practiced in the last year? Zero. How many times have you watched a video on how to play guitar? Zero. So what really are you doing on a day-to-day -day basis, Luke, to learn to play the guitar? Nothing. I occasionally look at one and go, that'd be nice. For some of you, that's exactly your spiritual relationship with God. Man, I'd love to have a closer relationship with God. Yeah, I'd love to read the Bible. You know, I'd love to get active. Uh, so when's the last time you read your Bible? Eh, it's been a while. How often do you pray? Eh, it's been a while. How often have you taken alone time with God, just you and Him? Eh, it's been a while. So you don't really desire that. You'd want it in a perfect world where you didn't have to do anything to get it. Desire is a different thing. The difference between me and the guy who actually desires to play the guitar is he walks in with bloody fingers going, I've been playing all week long. You don't even have to ask him if he likes the guitar, you just know. Like the things you desire in life, everybody knows it. I was laughing, we brought a new guy in from the company in California. And he came to my desk and he's like, do you like your family? And he, he said it kind of sarcastically because I have a wall that's just pictures of my children. Just pictures of my kids everywhere. People know I like my family. I talk about them a lot. It'd be impossible for you to even know me like in a small window of time without knowing that I'm passionate about them. It just comes up. Is that the way it works with your relationship with God, Christ? Look at what it said in Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Christ is warning us. This part's hard. Discipline is difficult. It's absolutely difficult, but my goodness, the results of it are amazing. I love children because they show this. It is hard disciplining my kids. I don't enjoy it. I don't like doing it. But you know what I do like? Having an obedient child. I like that I can go to a restaurant and actually eat food and have my kid there and not go crazy. Because realizing he's just going to be a terror who tears up the store. Right? I like that I can take my kids places. I like that I can expect them to behave. I like that they're nice to people. I like that they show respect. And that only comes from the discipline that's given to them on a regular basis. So though that is hard, my goodness, the fruits of it are amazing. And that's what Christ is trying to tell us here. Yes, you're going to have to make hard decisions. But the fruits of it will be amazing. Completely worth it. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Everybody will look to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 
And Romans chapter 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set their mind on the flesh is death, but to set mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So here's where Christ says, here's why it's worth it. He's saying if you put yourself to the fleshly, worldly things, all your life is going to be filled with is death. In one way, shape, or another, all you will see is death. But man, when you put your mind toward the things of the Spirit, well now, now you open yourself up to life. Now you open yourself up to joy. Now you open yourself up to a whole new world of experiencing things. This is exactly why you can take Paul, put him in prison, and beat him, and he's still joyful. Because he goes, you know what? God's put me here with a bunch of people that need to hear the gospel. And I'm going to share it with them. And so where most of us be crying out in pain, going, get me out of here, he goes, God's put me in a place where I can change people's lives. How awesome is he? Man, what a perspective to have. Paul, even when Paul's sick, is like, man, maybe I'm just one step closer to getting to see God. Man, I long to be at his side. I look forward to that day. When's the last time you got excited about being in the presence of God? When's the last time you were just like, man, I cannot wait for that moment. I can't wait for that to happen. It should happen daily. It should be a constant drive in your life. See, here's what you got to understand about Christianity. When God gives you the Spirit, it doesn't just solve all your problems. What it means is you now are tied into a power source that will allow you to overcome things you couldn't before. But it doesn't mean you will. You still have to act. You still have to show faith. You still have to lean on that power to change your life. So to me, it's like I plugged the blender in, but until I hit that switch, it ain't going to do nothing. And see, some of us, we act like, well, I'm plugged in. It's over. Done. No. And still you start actively pursuing Him. That power that He has given you in the Spirit of God is not going to change anything. You've got to move. And that's why some of us, even after we've met Christ, still feel so much pain. Because we're still pursuing all the fleshly things. All the worldly things. And guess what? All those will always lead to death. And so the hardest part for Christians is, is when they become Christians and God gives them that spirit, they got to live in it. And what they got to realize is, there's some things that need to be gone. There's some things i got to eliminate. There's some people, I ain't going to be around them no more. Because otherwise, they will just keep pulling me down to death. And those are the harder things that we have to decide in our lives. Look at 1 Corinthians with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27, it says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. 
So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul paints this picture like we should consider ourselves spiritual athletes. Where are you running to? It's not a rhetorical question. Where are you running in life? What steps are you taking every day and where do they lead to? It's actually amazing to me how many of us are zombies. We wake up and we do what we did last week. Why? Because we do. Hate your job, hate your coworkers, feel aimless, feel purposeless, just keep doing it. Over and over and over and over again. Hoping one day you reach something called retirement, where maybe you'll have some money and you'll be able to not work anymore. But great, okay, so all you've done is gotten rid of negatives. Does that mean you're going to enjoy life? No. Guy goes, people, wake up. I built you. You're fearfully, wonderfully, and amazingly made. You're one of a kind. Literally, no one else in the history of mankind can fill the role that you are made to fill. No one. You've been handcrafted by God the Creator with His breath of life put in you. Every day, as a believer, the Spirit of God beats inside your heart. Do you think He did all those things for you to wake up and go, it's Monday. <laughs> See ya, honey. Can't wait till 6 o'clock. God, if it could just be Saturday, I'd be so happy. No! He did not create you for that. So change where you're running to. Change the direction you're moving. So many of us have accepted mediocrity and sadness and despair as just being how life is going to be. And here's the thing. I'm not telling you to walk in tomorrow and quit your job. Alright? Now some of you may actually need to do that. But notice, Paul could walk into prison and go, I'm living life. I am living life in jail. And I am joyous, I am happy, and I am fulfilled. Now I'm betting his jail was slightly worse than your Monday workplace. I hope so. So if he can walk into that and go, I'm good. In fact, my cup is overflowing with goodness. Then you should be able to walk into your workplace and say the same thing. What the problem is, is your perspective. Where are you running to? So folks, here's my thing. I don't care if you're good at running. I don't care if you look like Usain Bolt. I don't care if when you run, everybody gets scared because it looks painful. Have you ever seen those people? Like, there's certain people, if they're running, you know something bad is happening. <laughs> right? Like, those people don't run for no reason. <laughs> If they're running, they're running from something. Right? I don't care how you run. Just run. Just run. Just go. It's funny, as a kid, I was not good at sports. I know that's shocking to you guys. Not good at sports. You see me and you're like, that guy's got to be a natural at everything. One year... And it was funny because at first I, I, I took it kind of as a slight. But one year I was the youngest kid on my baseball team. And it was bad. It was like I, my poor father 
the shame he had to have in his heart. Because like he would show up, right, and the kids are, you know, we're, we're just playing catch. Right? And you'd see these bullets across the field. And then you'd see my throw. And it'd be this loop, the big rainbow, all the way over to the other kid. And it'd be lucky if it even made to him. But at the end of the year, my coach gave me an award, and he gave me what he called the Hustle Award. And he said, look, does Luke need to improve on some things? Yes. But my goodness, you never once doubted that he was out here giving everything he had. And to me, that's what we're supposed to do. I'm not asking you to be the next Paul. I don't need you to write the next great Christian work that changes everybody's mind and philosophy. I don't need you giving phenomenal speeches and sermons, but if you can, great. I don't need you singing songs that are recorded for millions to listen to, but what I do need is when I look out at you, I go, they're running. They're running. I will never doubt that they are running after him. It may be ugly, but man, the effort and heart is there. Because guess what? Here's what God tells us. None of us run that well. It's kind of like watching toddlers play soccer. None of them are good. <laughs> Even the one that's the best, it's still ugly. It's still painful. But what you care about is they're giving everything they got. They got a smile on their face. There's joy in their heart. And you go, they're running. That's all he wants from you. Now here's the trick. In this race, when you run, someone's trying to stop you. You have an enemy who daily is trying to devour you. And he doesn't play fair. Because what Satan does is he uses the things God has given us as gifts and he perverts them. So let's be real. Most of us with self-control, we probably struggle with either food, laziness, sex, whether that's pornography or actual sex, but we struggle with these kind of things that are, are physical in the world. And why do we struggle with them? Because they give you instantaneous enjoyment. Satan's not stupid. He knows that. So he keeps pointing you at those over and over and over again. And what you have to do is have the control to go, right now, it's not what's best. Right now, that's not what I need. Right now, I need him more than I need those things. That's how you get your life right, is what you realize is when his, my passion for him is greater than everything else, it puts all those things in balance. It's funny, for me, I was probably too tied to sports before I had children. Um, like Bulls, I would watch the Bulls games, all of them, all 82. I'd read every article about them. I had jerseys, got way too emotionally advanced. There were, there were series where when they would lose, like I would just be like, I don't really want to talk to anybody right now. Right? And I, then I had kids and I realized like, how, how silly is this? I don't even know those guys. And if I did, I probably wouldn't even like most of them. And, and because they wear a red jersey, like, I'm all excited that they're, they're good guys. But man, if they put a green one on, evil. And let's be real here, what are they doing? They're putting a piece of leather in a metal circle. And I'm like all emotionally into that. That's weird. And it wasn't until I had kids and realized, you know, I'd rather actually spend that two hours with you guys. But all of a sudden I realized like, yeah, I'll watch them when I absolutely have nothing else to do. 
<laughs> it's funny. I've gone to like sports where I used to watch everything. So like I don't even really know who's playing or how good it is. Because other things have bumped up. Other things are more significant. I want to leave you with one last thing. Flip to Matthew 4. Matthew 4. This is where Jesus teaches us how to handle this. Beginning of his ministry, Jesus goes through a period of 40 days of fasting. 40 days of fasting. Now let me just tell you, if you haven't fasted in your life, you should try it. Now I know you're looking at me going, you tried fasting, Pastor? <laughs> that doesn't look like a body made by fasting. <laughs> All right. I have done it. I don't do it enough. But fasting is a brilliant thing where what you're really truly teaching your body is, you're not in control. It's amazing how many of us actually, we let our flesh control us. Need to go to the restroom? Stop what you're doing, go to the restroom. Need to eat? Stop what you're doing, go eat. Tired? Stop what you're doing, go to sleep. It's good to teach our body, you ain't driving. You can ask for stuff, it don't mean I'm giving it to you. The Spirit's what's driving. And so what's funny is some people have interpreted that Jesus fasting, like, oh, that Satan, he came when Jesus was at his weakest. I go, uh-uh. He came when Jesus was at his strongest. For 40 days, Jesus said, my body doesn't need food. My body needs God. Amen. For 40 days, he said, all I'm focused on, besides anything and everything, is being near my Father. Amen. I am linked to him. And so actually, Satan came when Jesus was most prepared. Now look at what Satan offers in this temptation. So then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now let's be honest. Does that seem like a, a really evil or deceivious thing to say? You're hungry. You're the Creator. Is there any sin in turning stones into bread? No. But for Jesus, he's sitting here going, I know what game you're playing. If you think I'm here to do your bidding, you don't understand who you're talking to. And so instead, he says this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's his point? Saying, you think I need the things of this world. I don't. I need my Father. You have come and interrupted my time, which is about being with my Father. It's not about food. No thank you. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Think about this. How many of us like to show off when we're good at something? You ever have that? It's just natural, right? You know what I actually love about my children is? Is I now show off not by what I can do, but what they can do. And most of the time, they absolutely fail me. So it'll be like, he's learned this verse. Mom and dad, listen to this. Hey, Tyler, tell them Psalm 23. Uh, I don't remember it. <laughs> You've been saying it all week. But no, there's a, there's a spectacle now, so not going to perform. Not going to happen, right? Don't you love how your children do the weirdest and dumbest things when you're actually talking about how good they are? 
Right? Like you'll be lo- talking, oh, well, not him. He's so smart. And then you look over and he's got like his foot in his mouth. <laughs> and you're like, he has literally never done that, ever. <laughs> How tempting had it to be to Christ to show off? Unbelievable, unlimitless power. Literally, it's in Scripture that he can do these things. And saying, saying, hey, take the opportunity. Show the world what you can do. And he goes, no. I'm not here to test my father. I'm not here to show off. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. He shows him finally the thing that he probably longed for more than anything. Think how much Christ wanted us. Think of everything he went through to have us. And Satan's trying to tempt him with that. I'll give it all to you. Just worship me. What I love about this story is Jesus, the man who speaks Scripture. Let me be honest, how many of you have a red letter Bible? Does anybody have one of those? The words of Jesus are in red. So anything Jesus says is Scripture. But in this moment, in this test, when he's questioned, what does he do? He uses the words of his Father. See, what he's showing us is the way he overcame this temptation wasn't just by his own power. He overcame it by remembering who his father was and what his relationship with him was. My God is king and I am his servant. I'm not here for me. I'm here for him. Offer anything you want. You cannot tempt me. Because the thing I want more than anything is him. So whatever you offer, if it doesn't get me closer to Him, be gone. It's so clear. It's so simple. It's just difficult to execute. But brothers and sisters, that's what God wants to see. Self-control comes not from you realizing, I eat too much and food is bad. Self-control comes not from you going, this pornography has got a hook in me that it shouldn't have. Self-control doesn't come from you realizing the pros and cons of whatever you're addicted to. Self-control comes from you going, this is not helping me get closer to Him. And that's what I'm about. And so here's the question for each and every one of you. What are you running after? Is He number one? Is all your effort all your strength, all your energy about chasing Him. If it's not, you can throw all this out. Those fruits of the Spirit won't come. They won't come. You can try to be patient all you want. If you're not chasing Him, it won't show up. And so each and every one of you need to ask yourself, what are you putting on a daily basis above Him? For some of you, it's really silly stuff. But for all of us, it should be clear that is number one. That's where I'm going. And there is no doubt to anybody watching, I'm chasing after Him. I'm going to ask Marie to come up. We're going to do a time of prayer.
uh, me, uh, and James will be at the back. If you feel like you need to pray with somebody about something, uh, feel free to come on up. If not, just have a conversation with you, stand with your Lord. I'll be honest, I think there's some of you here today who you have been Christians because you think coming to church or praying every now and then to God is valuable. But there's some of you who have never actually gone after Him with everything you have. For those of you, you need to have that conversation with Him. You need to ask Him why you put other things first. Just have a talk with Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.